0: Good evening, everybody. Welcome to California Haunts Radio. My name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. We are 45 strong up and down the state, which means if you have a paranormal need, we can get to you because we got people all over the state. But sometimes it might take us a while because it's a big state, right? And uh, if it's going to take us longer than, than than a couple of days, I have mediums like Karen Clark, who's going to be on the show. I have mediums like Karen Clark, on staff who can call you and in most cases calm things down for you until we can get out there. All right. That being said, if you're watching from Facebook tonight, please be sure to hit those like buttons and those thumbs up buttons. If you like what you hear, same thing with YouTube and you know, Twitter or any place, any place else you might be listening from. Also on Facebook, if you haven't done so already, uh, follow us because we have a lot of shows we're doing uh, Monday. We're doing Sunday through Friday shows and uh, we got a lot of content out there. Uh, there's there's more than 641 shows out there from the last three years that we've done. In fact, we're on our 209th show tonight for this season, season three. So yeah, so check us out. Uh, same thing for YouTube. If you haven't done so already and you like what you you, you hear and see that tonight or any other night, uh, go ahead and subscribe to uh, the California Haunts YouTube channel because we're always looking for subscribers. And uh, you'll find over there that I have started to categorize all 600 and some change shows into uh, different folders so that you guys can find it easier. Okay. So, you know, if there's a topic you want to go over like religion or maybe UFOs and, and abductions and things like that, you can find the, you know, find, find the proper file, click on it. And then all the guests for the, the that particular topic is there. All right. Okay. I'm doing a quick intro here before I bring Karen on and we, we did a show on uh, pain management and stuff. Uh, what, two weeks ago i think it was two weeks ago and uh i didn't intend to do another show i wasn't gonna i think i was gonna leave it at that for a while but my last pain management appointment last last week that i had kind of really changed my mind because the way they treated me and, and the way it was handled so i decided that um there's a lot of people out there that really don't know what's going on with pain patients from the pain from their perspective and it's sad because I, you know, I, I look, I, I, I read a lot of articles online in favor of rights for for uh, pain, you know, people that are in pain, and I see a lot of comments about people calling calling people uh, drug addict, you see, drug addicts. Sorry about that. And you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of name calling, drug addicts, um, addictive. All you hear is addiction, drug addicts, all this stuff. The problem with all that is, is that Not everybody is addicted. Not everybody's a drug addict. Okay. That's where the misnomer is. And that's what's sad about what the media, the mainstream media is putting out there. Some of the mainstream media is okay with it and understands what's going on. There are, you know, there are reporters that know what's going on, but there's also the other half of the mainstream media that is going to print this stuff. Like like, 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 with the new CDC guidelines that just came out, you know, they're, they're, they're going to print stuff saying, oh, hell they're more positive towards people that are pain patients, but they're not, there's little tweakies things in there, but really it, it's, it, there's no changes. You know, the CDC, I think went in trying to make it more clear for doctors for the regulations, but instead of doing that, they, 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 really didn't tweak enough to help the pain patient. Karen Clark, my guest tonight has been on my team for probably 15 years on my paranormal team. And. Um, she's had an operation that didn't work out well. And so she's she up until this last month, she's been taking a real, real low level uh, pain, you know, painkiller. And um, they they cut her off cold turkey. And uh, she's gonna I'm gonna have her tell you her story when she gets on about what's been happening because uh, I talk to her every day to see how she's doing. And it was sad because at the time when she told me what was happening when she couldn't get a hold of her doctor to get her prescription, and the, you know, they were sending her in circles. I knew right away what was going on, because I, I, I'd heard so many stories and read so many stories about this stuff. And it, it, it was ridiculous what they did to her. I'm probably going to be going through the same thing. Um, After my appointment last week, I, I get the impression that I'm about to go into the fight for my life right now. The fight for me being able to get up in the morning and mow my lawn or clean my floors or or, or vacuum or or pick things up off the ground or anything like that. Work in my yard. I'm about to enter the fight for a fight for my life. And we'll get into that a little more. But um, that is what between Karen's situation and all the other situations out there and what happened to me last week, I have decided I will make this a monthly program. And if 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 it expands out of a monthly program. We'll do it twice a month but i want to get the word out that's that's what i'm here to do it's my job i'm you know my, I'm, a, I'm a semi-retired newspaper reporter editor and it kill, And watching this happen around me it kills me you know and i and i'm not one of those people that if i wasn't in pain if i wasn't in pain i would still be advocating for these poor people because i've seen my father my father had two hip replacements he was in pain all the time and I can't imagine if, in his 80s, they turned around and started taking away his payments. You know, so I'm, I, I would have been in this spot anyway. But this is my way of, of getting the word out. And maybe, you know, I'm going to try and get more active, too, in these sessions that I can go online, with Zoom and everything, to, to get my input in with these doctors and, and, and all these big muckety-mucks that are making these rules. But uh, I'm going to be very open with you guys from here on in. I'm going to have you go through my pain journey with me. From here on in okay um i'm due for an mri which i can't afford of course it's 150 i got to do it but uh i'm going to do that and i'm going to take it from there with the pain management i'm going to try and get permission to interview my pain management doctors while i'm in the office i don't know if i'll get to do that we'll find out okay but uh, i'm going to take you guys on this journey with me and see how things happen two years ago or a year ago something like that i lose track of time they, the, and then I'll get into what was upsetting about them doing this. They decided to cut me back by, 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 by one pain pill a day. I take three. I'm not going to say what I take, but I take three. One for the morning, one for the after, for mid-afternoon, and one helped me sleep because the pain when I roll, if I roll over or something, the pain's intense on my lower back. And well, and I'll get into what's going on with my back. Once Karen gets you know, gets on the air, but um, I couldn't do it. I could not make it through the day. You know, I just, I found myself taking one in the morning and one in the evening because obviously I had to sleep. So I would skip the midday one. And that's when, you know, people are busiest. When I was a a beat reporter and I'm trying to walk, walk around different places and stuff, I couldn't do it. It was just, no. So I had to go back and complain and I got that third pill back. Okay. But we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about my dosage and we're going to talk about what the CDC is, is, is putting out, what doctors are doing, and where I'm at with my dosage, which really irritates me, which I find really not, so what's irritating at the, at the same time, I find it unbelievable. Okay. All right, let me get Karen on, and then, then we'll start from there, because I want Karen to ta- talk to you and give you an update on what's been going on with her since, they, since since she was cut off. So let me get Karen on. It's a phone interview. You guys know that. So here we go. Let me find her. There she is right there. Okay, see if I can get her. Excuse my stomach. I have issues with that too. Hi. Hello, let me get you over there, okay? Give me a second. Karen Clark, kids. Hang on one second. Okay, let me get this set so we don't get any playback. It, okay, yeah, I gotta do some adjustments with the mic here too. Okay, that should do it. What I found I have to do because this mic is now. In a different position that should work that when i use that uh, when i can do phone calls i have to fix it so that you can't hear who's on it doesn't have any throwback oh are you there yeah okay i got you yeah so what i had to do is i have to put you in a box
1: are we
0: on yeah we're on i have to put you in a box <laughs> because the new position <laughs> with my great little uh, desk that you guys got me or gave me my mic's in a, my, my regular mic's in a different positions. So what it does is that when I have the phone, like I used to set the phone over on the table on the side with another mic pointing down at it. Uh-huh. This mic can pick up the phone now. So I have to put you in a box. Okay. <laughs> I to devise a box. That wouldn't be the, the last time or the first
1: time somebody put me in a box. <laughs>
0: I was telling them about um you going cold turkey like you did. And I, I was hoping you could give an update to people because I know, I know, you know I know it's a very private thing, but I mean, it is, this has to be said. You know, the agony that people that are getting pulled off these things are going through.
1: Well, yeah, if my suffering can bring anybody some um, answers or, or support, then it's then at least it has a silver lining to it, you know. Um. Yeah. What happened is, um, I guess I'll quickly recap. Sure. 12 years ago, I, um, had a uh, tumor, um, that turned out to be a a rare disease called Castleman's disease. Mm -hmm. And I had a resection, um, a mesentery resection done, uh, partly bowel resection and a radical hysterectomy all in one surgery. So, um, needless to say it gutted me out pretty bad. The doctor saved my life, but at the same time, the surgery didn't go so well, mm-hmm. and it caused extreme pain for years and years. Mm-hmm. And I, and on top of that, I was misdiagnosed um, for uh, GI things, and it turns out I have a rare congenital disease called SIDS. Don't even ask me how to say the the name. It's I can't metabolize sugar or um. A, a lot of sugars or other—it's not celiac, but it's—it's it's crazy. Mm-hmm. So on top of all that, everything gave me pain. So I was dealing with chronic pain for a big chunk of my life before I had this diagnosis, and then after the surgery, it caused even more additional pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and I won't get into the heavy details of all of it, right? But um, so I was, I was, uh, I saw a, a doctor, my primary care doctor at the time, um, and he didn't really know what to do. So I, I got a, a fantastic primary care doctor who's my doctor today, and um, I really lucked out finding him, and he, and I saw a say college and a psychiatrist because right around the time I had the surgeries My four-year-old sister committed suicide in a very violent way and I lost my cousin To suicide as well. So it was like all this major stress on top of this You know mm-hmm. Physical stuff going on with me So my the reason why I'm saying all this is that I my point is is that I was really um I had a great team of doctors overlooking my care and it wasn't like I was out doing street drugs. Mm-hmm. I, I, I was really under the advisement of top professionals mm-hmm. and with that I was on a dose of opiates um, to help control my pain so I could have a better quality of life and I took it for years. Mm-hmm. And the stigma that came around it, especially when I would have to go back to the hospital, because I had a lot of problems post-surgery for years. I had ileases and near obstructions. Actually, I did obstruct once. I had a, um, because of all the problems I had, it caused uh, an emergency. I had two ventral hernias that um, became strangulated. And I had to have like surgery right away. And then that was a 19. My first surgery was in 12 and 2019 was, was that surgery and that those are sign related And then they have to do a bunch of repair work as well. And so every time I would go back to the, the, the hospital, the doctor, because I had a lot of, of pain and suffering, um, you know, I would get a lot, sometimes I would get a lot of like, Oh, you're just a drug addict, mm-hmm. you know, when they clearly didn't even read my history. And I'm not saying everybody, there's a lot of professional, medical professionals that were wonderful to me, mm-hmm. but there were, there were those that really did label me. One time we went out of town to visit my nephew up in Eureka area and I ended up in the emergency room because of like an obstruction and the ER doctor, um, I told him a little bit about my past. He didn't even really care about what my medical history was. It was, are you on any opiates? And I said, yeah, that was it. His whole mind shut down. He wouldn't listen to me and, and it it was, it was horrible. And I went through that quite a few times and I could understand where the doctors are at because um, I worked as a licensed nurse for many years mm-hmm. and I was working case management department as a coordinator for many, many years. And I, I get it. I get the algorithms, I get the you know, the laws and and the bylaws and everything that they have to adhere to. I get it. But at the same time, being a patient on the other end, it was startling, to say the least, what I went through. It was horrifying. And then my last thing, um, over the last, I would say, three years, I was weaning myself off the opiates myself, mm-hmm. not told by any Doctor, psychiatrist, or psychologist to do so. It's something I personally chose to do, but I was over looked by by the medical my medical team. Mm -hmm. So I slowly was coming off of them because I wanted to, not because I felt a stigma to, because I was ready to. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, so I'm on a very low dose, Mm -hmm. and then out of the blue. It was time for Michael to pick up my standard dose at the pharmacy and there was a big hang up and hmm, I'm like, okay, what's going on? So then I called my doctor's office and then I left several messages and it just was out of this world. What was going on? It was like, um, a complete turnaround of what I've normally experienced for mm-hmm. years being in compliance mm-hmm. of taking my medications that just one day, everything shut down on me. And coincidentally, um, I went into withdrawals mm-hmm. and I can't really call the doctor's office or my psychologist or my psychiatrist. Well, actually my psychologist, I, I stopped seeing, but my psychiatrist, still would look after me like i would have to check in with her every four or five months Mm -hmm. and it wasn't her fault either i can't it was the system of how that i believe the dea came cracking down on the doctor's offices for anybody who is prescribed to schedule one medication Mm -hmm. or medications Mm -hmm. and coincidentally because of of this crackdown there there was all this mis communication going on and their hands were tied and I could not get my prescription. And then the pharmacy would not work with me because come to find out a pharmacy down the road was just shut down by the DEA. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, and I'm talking people could not get their medications. People who have stage four cancer this was t- told to me by my friends who are surgeons and doctors who I sp- have had lengthy conversations with who are beside themselves because their hands are tied. It's become like this. It, I, I, and I, I totally get and understand we are in a opiate pandemic, crisis epidemic, and there has to be things that change. I get it. But the way they dealt with it, the the counter beings Uh that dealt with it cause is causing me and a lot of people to go through some unnecessary withdrawals. The withdrawals I went through never should have happened. I should have had been tapering down the way I was Uh in a medically balanced way supervised by my medical professional team Mm -hmm. that have gone to medical school and have worked in the industry for 30, 40 years and have much, but, but no, but they have to follow the, they have to, their hands got tied by bureaucracy that doesn't have any medical training. Mm -hmm. And coincidentally, I ended up in the emergency room. I had a seizure. My BP, I have my, my baseline BP is like a hundred over 60. My BP was like off the charts. My, I was tachycardia. I was throwing PVCs. Everything was going wrong because this was not handled correctly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, as you can see, I get a little, <laughs> um, emotional talking about it. It's,
0: un- it's understandable because you know, with, in my situation, and like I told you guys, I'm going to take you guys on this journey with me. Now, 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 now that the doctor's starting to him haw again, I'm going to take you guys on this journey with me. And in my situation, all right, I'm going to tell you about my back. So, so Some people know, some people don't, okay? Lumbar, I have spinal stenosis, all right? Spinal stenosis is a narrowing of the spinal canal. So if I'm walking, I'm kind of like the Tin Man in Wizard of Oz. So if I'm walking, my spinal canal dries up, essentially dries up. So I have to bend forward in order to get to get the flow going again, and it's like it's like the Tin Man. Otherwise, it's bone scraping on bone back in my back. Um, I was in a car accident a few years ago, on top of all this, and I have two collapsed vertebrae at the base of my spine. Not to mention a, a, bul- a, a bulging disc and bone spurs back there. So I have a hard time walking. But in addition to all this, I've got congestive heart failure. Now listening to what Karen went through and doing the research on what happens when they, when they start to re- take you off opiates. If, if they tried to do this, which I'm, I'm trying to fight it right now, I would probably have a heart attack because it affects your blood pressure. It affects your heart, all that stuff.
1: Yeah.
0: I wanted to yeah, man. That's a
1: great point, Charlotte, because in the emergency room, my blood pressure was so right. high. And like I said, my baseline is pretty low. Yeah. But now, now, the doctors want me to monitor my blood pressure every day because what happens when you're in chronic
0: pain, it does raise your blood pressure. Yes. Yes. That's the other thing. And so yeah, like, like Karen is saying, if it comes down to them trying to get me off the pills that I need so bad to walk across my floor, I'm going to have to do it probably in the, I'm going to demand I do it in the hospital because I want to be under, I want to be under my medical team's care at the time. I don't want to die from a heart attack. I don't want you to die yet. You know, and to me, it's, for a person like me, it's it's it's, it's a major risk to even consider that, you know. Absolutely. But I'm trying to be, you know, like I decided last week after that appointment, and I'll tell you what happened to my appointment. I go walking in there, and this is normally a full, I'm not going to say anything about the doctor. Like Karen says, the doctor's hands are tied. There's nothing, you know, the doctors can do because the CBC is essentially, well, they've kind of misinterpreted the, the CBC suggestions in the first place. Okay. Cause as the CVC keeps saying, those are simply guidelines that they put out, but the doctors are taking them to be etched in stone. And I think that's a lot of the problem. Plus you got the DEA, you know, watching everything the doctors do. I walked in, the office was practically empty and that's not like that office. Usually it's full of people, patients. And I, and I was sitting there thinking something's not right. And I'm looking up on the screen at the office because they always have those TV screen things. Usually, it's MTV. And I'm looking up at the screen, and it's all about how they're going to, you know, what types of injections that they, they can give you for your back, and all this. That's all it was. And I thought, uh oh, yeah. So I get called in finally, and it's a, it's a nurse practitioner. It's a new nurse practitioner from the other one. And I have my theories why the other one's no longer there. And I'm not, I'm not going to say that because it's just a theory. All right, when we when we write, okay. there was no hello. How's your pain today? There was. Hi, I'm here filling in for so-and-so, and uh yeah, we gotta talk about getting you on starting you on suboxone. And that was the whole conversation of it. Oh yeah. I'll fill out your prescription, but next month we're gonna have to have this discussion. For people that don't know it, suboxone, and this is what gets me. Suboxone is for people that are addicted to get them to to bring them down off the pills. Okay. I get it, you know, that whole suboxone gig. But like Karen says, we're not addicted. We're dependent. There's a difference. We're dependent right. on it for quality of life difference. so we can go out and do our, our daily our daily tasks. We're not taking it just to sit there and watch the colors on the TV. You know, that's not what we're, it's not what we're doing. All right. The other thing in my case, and I, I, I did take some notes last night. So I'm going to be reading from a couple of articles. I found a uh, nice opinion piece in USA Today. I figured those guys do their research because they're big time. I mean, I'm a reporter. I, you know, those are the papers. We, so the, those are the you know, stuff we look up to, the oohs and ahs, in the San Francisco Chronicle. All right. There's this thing called, um, let me pull it up here real quick. Give me a second. You guys know I'm blind too, so just give me a second. There's this thing they called MME. I don't know if Karen's heard of it either. But um, one of the CDC changes was this. Among the drastic changes, was this is, this is out of just a website I found, was a limit for acute pain at three days for new heart limitation and a new heart limitation of 90 morphine milligram equivalents. MME for all prescriptions, okay, um, substantiating an unscientific term not used by anyone but the CDC, which not only established an absurdly low dose for some patients, but insinuated that the needs for pain treatment from patient to patient are the same regardless of individual metabolism or body chemistry. Let's talk about that for a second. Okay. Yeah. You and I go to a party, right? Karen's a lot thinner than I am. Okay. I can and we start drinking of course we wouldn't because we're hurting him on different meds. We start drinking alcohol, right? And you guys know and you guys know this from being, just being out in the world, okay? Heavier people are gonna be able to deal with alcohol better than somebody that's thinner. And it works, but it works the same way with 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 pain medication, depending on your size and everything. You know, it's not a one size fits all, which is what they're saying now. Five tablets, and I'm not going to say, like I said, I am not going to say what I'm taking, you know, what medication I'm on because it's not right. But according to them, it's 90 to 80 morphine milligram equivalents. I've even heard that they want people down to 50 milligrams a day. Okay, of that MME. All right, but just bear that in mind. Okay. So five tablets of what I take would be 50 MME a day. That's way below what they want. Now, I only take three tablets, all right? I'm at 30 MME a day, 30. Why and why are they coming after me? That's, the, that's one of the questions I have. You know, I get there's regulations, but I am way, way, way below what, what what the regulations talk about. I'm at 30.
1: That's a good point, Charlotte. And you know, even if you were above regulations, yeah. If you have medical necessity reasons why you need them, mm-hmm. and you are supervised by licensed professional, that you know, like which you are, right? There's no reason why this this needs to happen to
0: us. It's it's deplorable. And what fascinates me about the whole thing is that. Three years ago, before I had to switch, I had to switch uh, pain management places because the place I was at decided they, were, they weren't they were going to do pills anymore, you know, you know, medications anymore, and they were going to go to injections, okay? So I had a very nice nurse practitioner there who uh, gave me a 30-day, you know, thing for, for pain pills so I could find somebody else. At that time, he sat me down because I had a lot of questions even then, you know, when these guidelines came out, and I would always sit down and talk to him for about 10 minutes and say, hey, look, you know, there's people, I see people all the time complaining that, the, the pain limits for them are bad. And he says, well, he says, to be honest, those people are taking a lot. And I said, well, what, what does that mean for me? He says, well, you're on the low spectrum compared to what other people take for pain management. And that's what I
1: was told,
0: too. And which is what Karen was. And he says, and I've, I've looked at your x-rays, I've, I've looked at your your, your, your MRIs, and you, you have to have them for quality of life. And this is, right. coming, from, this is coming from a nurse practitioner, right, in a pain clinic. So I thought, cool, you know, I've got it for quality of life. They're not going to mess with me. ha. Huh. So obviously now what's going on, and here I am on the low end that does 30 MMEs. Karen was probably lower depending on whatever she was taking. She was probably down to 10 MMEs a day, which is way yeah. low on the spectrum, right? Five or 10 MMEs. Yeah. And I can't imagine that, you know, as low as I am, why would they sit there and, cut, and, and start cutting me back even farther? It doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense at all okay i'm not here
1: especially when you want your quality of
0: life right i'm not here to complain this is not a complain fest i'm just trying to get the word out of what they're doing to people because you don't hear this just to be handled
1: better Mm -hmm. you know like i personally i made the choice i'm off opiates i've been off of them for oh my gosh almost two months and um it was hell the way they like i said the, the way I went through the withdrawals was so unnecessary and it put my heart, put my health in great danger and, and un- but I chose to stay off of them but here's the thing I would like a chance when my pain gets to like really, really high, a PRN but I don't even have that luxury anymore. Once right. you're off, they, that, that, that's it they yeah. don't ever give them
0: to you They're again, not gonna get them again no and matter
1: there's what. those days where I am so like Really, I do my meditation I do my music therapy I do my medicinal medications I do uh, my you know all of my techniques mm-hmm. my my tunes units and and, and all of my techniques on therapy and all that and sometimes I still just is not enough right it's the pain down so I wish I had that choice if I could take a period in once in a while but I don't
0: mm-hmm. but
1: just because I choose chose to to stay off of them yeah. does not mean that I am on the camp side that says that you know what I did it. How can you can't do it? And you're an you don't. Right. No, 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 right. no, no. I will be an advocate for the rest of my life for people that need to take them for good quality when expect when they are supervised and they have real medical reasons why they need them and their quality of life is truly suffering. That. It, to me, that's just there There has to be a big change. And I know, Charlotte, you've done a lot of research. I've done some, but you've done a lot more than me that you've really dug deep into, you know, groups that advocate for it and, you know, changes that need to be. I won't even get into politics.
0: Well, <laughs> I found this article. There needs to be changes, definitely. <laughs> I found this opinion piece by Peter, uh, I hope I say his name right, Pishkeep. If I said your name right, I'm sorry January 23rd 2003 article talking about because because all the all, all the complaining that the patients did like I said the CDC decided to make changes to the guidelines but unfortunately even though they made the changes nothing much has changed about it so I'm going to read some excerpts from this from this news from this news piece okay first off he says the CDC emphasizes that its guidelines should never be used for an inflexible rigid standard of care and patient abandonment the problem is that's what it's being used for they're abandoning patients they're Absolutely inflexible right. the rigid, rigid standard of care but that's what, what that's what they've done so no matter what the cdc says this is what they've done okay he says then there's the fine print okay we talked about the mmes right all right we're going down this says potentially and this is the same article potentially millions of patients have been abandoned when you consider that one in five americans suffer from chronic pain and in 2019, up to eight million of them relief really, really on opioid okay, yeah, and up to okay, and, and in twenty nineteen there were eight million people taking opioids for long term therapy. I have been taking opioids for 13 years. Okay, I've been on the same dose, I've never varied, same dose. My pain levels run about a five, a four five every day. All right. Because you know what, to be honest, when you take a pain pain, when you take pigment, nah, excuse my mouth. you take pain medication they're not designed to take all your pain away they're designed to take the pain away enough so that you you can function that's that's what pain medication do all right so mine takes it away just enough so i can but i can function i still have bad days every once in a while but i I still function all right now he goes ahead and very well he goes ahead and he does some 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 little um asterisk points and he says a 2020 study The National Cancer Institute found a 21% decrease in opioid prescriptions from oncologists. Oncologists. These are people with cancer. I know. That are not getting their opioids. Okay. A study stage, cancer. End stage, yeah. yeah. A study in the Journal of Pain and Symptom Management found that hospice patients who had an opioid prescription when discharged dropped from 91% in 2010 to only 79% in in 2028. 2018
1: i used to work in hospice i took care of hospice patients and i'm speechless
0: yeah and he goes on it gets better other research like last year's study make sure my mouse isn't working of course okay other research like last year's study from the journal of clinical oncology shockingly found that the number of opioids prescribed per per um per dissident on Medicare declined 38%, while the number of ER visits for these patients increased to over 50%. Yeah. And And, they
1: wonder why the ER is so clogged.
0: Yeah. And here's a quote. Law enforcement agencies, especially the the Drug Enforcement Administration, are out of control, with the DEA routinely caught releasing safety plans for the patients of arrested physicians that simply direct pain patients to the nearest emergency room. Well, guess what, kids? If you go to the nearest emergency room, they're not going to help you. No. Period.
1: No. In fact, my sister's an RN, and I think Kathy, if you're listening, I hope I'm quoting you right. I think even if, like, you have a broken bone, they won't give you opiates anymore. No. It. Um. I think about the only, one of the only things they'll give it to you is if you come out of major major surgery.
0: hmm And they won't even do that. In fact, I'm hearing a lot of stories. I'm reading about a lot of stories. I follow the the. The, the pain network um, the newspaper or, or newsletter on online. As, there's a group of people that are actually putting on a newsletter about all this, and I'm finding out that the more I run my research in, is that people who are having major surgery are being sent home with Tylenol. Are you and, serious? Yep, yep. There was one lady I read about who had I forget what it was, kid pancreatic surgery or something, something major, kidney surgery, something where they cut her open and it moves stuff around. Oh, Whipple. Oh my God. She had a Whipple. And they sent her home with little to no pain medication at all. Okay. I mean, that's what's going on. All right? Now, there's something I wanted to point out, and I'm not trying to cut anybody's ribs, Channel 13 low here in Sacramento has been following some pain patients in their struggle with the with stuff that's going on. So I happened to watch the, the other night. It was doing really well. You know, where they were talking about how they're trying to deal with not having enough medication or not having any medication. Yeah. The last gentleman they had on, uh, was how they were closing the story down, was saying that he was completely off his opiates. And he felt great. And I don't know if that if that's the effect of, you know, you because after a while, you get used to the pain. Right. Because I know before I was on the pill, I, got on the, I didn't know what it was like to not live in pain.
1: There's, there's like this new research that... um one of my friends is a doctor and he was telling me, there's this new research that opiates sometimes can have like a rebound effect, a boomerang effect where right. they don't really help your pain. Okay, that might be true with some people, mm-hmm. but it's not all that it can. It doesn't mean that it, it applies or it's applicable to everybody. But what really, you know, it, you have to go by case by case basis. Right. And each dot is between the doctor and the patient.
0: Right. You know? Right. Not
1: everything is just put in, like you said, you said you're going to put me in a box. I think that's funny because not all of this needs to be put into one box. Right. Right. Everybody's case is individualized and different, but yet you walk into a pain clinic or a lot of doctors' offices and it's all about like, oh, you take opiates, oh, well, da-da-da-da-da, you need to get off of them, Yeah. without even looking at your health history, without even having conversations with other health care people on your team, without even having the decency of talking to the patient to find out what truly their quality of life is, mm-hmm. without talking to their psychiatrist or psychologist to see where they're on on the spectrum scale of you know of the of their stress levels, right? And that all of this needs to be taken into account,
0: right? It does everything. But it's not. No, it's not. And this gentleman uh, that they ended the story with, like I said. Channel 13 did great up until that point because he is he was really marvelous until the very end and the guy go, and the gentleman says, "Well, I haven't been on them. I still have some pain. I still have some pain, but I'm on Suboxone." Well, Suboxone which is the 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 the, the go-to with with these doctors. Suboxone right. is for drug addicts. Suboxone is to bring people down off the pills. That's all it is. It's not a painkiller. It's to bring people down off the pills. And I I did some extra research on Drugs.com, so here we go. It it it, it definitely
1: has its use and it has its benefit, but again, it goes case by case basis. Right,
0: right. So Suboxone... Not
1: everybody on opiates should be put on
0: it. Right. So here we go. So Drugs.com. Suboxone is sometimes used off-label by doctors to help with acute and chronic pain in certain patients. Off-label use of a drug refers to when a doctor prescribes a medicine for a different purpose than those formally approved by the fda and found in the package labeling suboxone so which comes through several names um buprenorphine i hope i said that right and naloxone some bungle film is not approved by the fda for use now this is this is where it, this is where it gets to be kicker okay suboxone so and the other names it's under okay are not approved by the FDA to use as pain medication. Suboxone is only approved to treat, and here here's where the kicker is, all right? They're trying to give us all Suboxone. Suboxone is only approved to treat narcotic opiate addiction, opioid use disorder. Only single agent puniprofen without naloxone is approved for pain, which is what they, they were talking about for me. And I still don't believe that, okay? Because... That buniprofen now, I did research on that, and that's still an opiate, Karen. I know. And, they're, and then there's, they're moving people to that. And that's the one they, that they keep telling me make sure, makes the pain even better when you, when you have, like, all this stuff wrong with me. You know, and I'm like, okay. You know, so the instructions are, you follow the, the doctor's instructions for suboxone use exactly. Do not use suboxone for pain unless your doctor has specifically provided for this use. Do not adjust your doses. There have been reports of deaths in people um, who are not using opioids. Opioid-naïve patients who used a two milligrams sublingual, <laughs> uh, bu- 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 dose for you know to gain relief. Relief, in other words, people are trying to gain relief with these lower power pills, and they're over and they're overdosing. That's what's yeah. going on, you know, and. Yeah, okay. Oh, there you are. You're still on there. Good. Um, oh, no, no, <laughs> no, I know people were, I know I didn't know if people were staring at my face while I was reading it, but um, this is what's going on. I mean, it's like they're, they're, they're peddling this stuff out. as as pain control? and It's not. Suboxone is for addicts to come down off the opioids. That's the bottom line. And when I'm sitting there at the doctor's office and she says, well, we're going to have to start talking about suboxone. Why? Well, I'm not It could
1: be for it could also be used for people that are dependent on opiates. Right. But right. Again, that stigma. Yeah. That stigma of being on an opiate. It, it whether and even people that are addicted to it should not be stigmatized either. Maybe they have a, a they should be treated, you know, right. Right. I mean it's you know it's it's a it's a mixed bag and th- there's a lot of variables involved but people whether you're addicted or you're dependent you should still be treated like a decent human being. right
0: right and guys I'm not a doctor okay you know I'm not saying this is medical I'm, I'm not a doctor either. now parents an and LBN
1: right
0: and right and, and that's what we're doing we're looking from the patient that's why I decided to start researching and pull articles up. So you guys get yeah, more informed. In fact, I'm in fact I'll, I'll make some announcements about this this session too because I'm expanding it out, and I'm going to try and get some doctors on here, the the, the that, that so some pain management doctors on to talk to us as well. So I'm trying, you know, I'm looking to expand this whole show out. So the next section I have for you is from the San Francisco Chronicle, from a March fourteenth article by Carolyn Sid, and the headline reads, "How a Crackdown on Opioids is Leaving Patients in Agonizing Pain." Karen, what are your pain levels like? at night
1: my pain levels oh i would say my
0: baseline is five always Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it has been for 12 years and um i usually spike up to eight or nine a night wow that's out of ten folks eight or nine is her pain level at night
1: sometimes sometimes and michael and i joke around and he always knows when I'm in pain because he says I get really funny when I, I, mean, I'm like a comedian when I'm in pain. Right. Because that's how I deal with it. Right. I try to be funny. So and And you- um, I try to deal with that. I try to deal with everything with humor.
0: Yeah.
1: And, some, and I'm not the best. Michael's a comic. He's... He's the comic in the family. I'm not so good at com- comedy, but he always says, "I know when you're really in pain because you, you try to be funny, <laughs> and you're funny when you don't try to be funny." But that's how I try to deal with my pain because if you don't, you'll go crazy.
0: Right now, from this article, You go crazy. Yeah, you have you'll to. You to have, have to do something it. to but, laugh at it. But
1: I'm not laughing at people. that I'm not laughing at the situation at all. This right. situation needs to be taken
0: seriously. Oh, absolutely. There's no there's no ifs or buts about it. Now, in the San Francisco Chronicle, Carol said or Carol said quotes a couple of doctors here. Dr. Sean Murphy or Mackey. I'm sorry. My bad. Dr. Sean Mackey, who's chief of of the of the Division of Pain Medicine at Stanford, has a quote in here. And he says it's very clear that some of the unintended consequences of these prescriptive opioid policies ended up harming patients who were taking opioids appropriately for legitimate circumstances. And we're ex- experimenting, experiencing reductions in pain and improvements and improvements to life and physical functioning. Here is a doctor at Stanford saying how, how, how it's affected people. So the doctors are aware of what's going on too. It's sad. The whole thing is sad. Yeah, it is. At least 50 Americans, and this is continuing the article, at least 50 Americans live with chronic pain, according to the Centers of Disease Control. While, many, while millions more have temporary pain after surgeries or accidents. Okay, about 5 million to 8 million rely on opioid medication to deal with the pain. Okay, but after years in which doctors over prescribed opioids and some patients ended up hooked on painkillers, the US has drastically limited prescription opioids in several ways. All right, here we go. I'm gonna gonna enlarge this a little bit because I'm blind. Okay, and this is from a San Francisco Chronicle article. The CDC issued new opioid guidelines in 2016 that capped the amounts doctors could prescribe. Doctor could prescribe. The agency itself now recognizes that misapplication of its guidelines has resulted in harm to patients. CDC spokesperson Courtney Leonard wrote in an email to the Chronicle citing patients having their opioid treatment abruptly discontinued or rapidly tapered among those harms state legislatures and state medical boards pass their own laws and regulatory and regulations enshrining the CDC's lower limits. So the states of course will go by what the CDC says because they're, they're they're doctors, right? Technically they're doctors. So the states have passed laws that incorporate all these regulations into laws which just makes you want to puke because I mean they've heard, it's just hurting people. The D, the DEA which oversees the manufacture of controlled substances Lowered quotas for annual production of opioids. Since 2013, it's reduced the supply of oxycodone by 65 percent and that of hydrocodone by 73 percent. So there's a shortage for patients too now, because right. because they've done this right. The DEA and other law enforcement agencies rated Now this is what doctors are afraid of. Okay, this is what Karen's saying is the doctors' hands are pretty much tied because they're so afraid of government. Right. Still in the Chronicle. The DEA and other law enforcement agencies... And pharmacies, too. Oh, yeah, that, too. Rated doctors who wrote too many prescriptions above CDC threshold. Some doctors were hit with fines, license license removal, seizure of assets, and prison sentences. Meanwhile, their patients were cut off from their meds. All right. Last point. Federal, state, and local governments and pharmaceutical companies and drugstores, including Walmart, Rite Aid, Walgreens, and CVS, okay, most cases have been settled. The, often for billions of dollars, along with agreements to further rein in opioid production and add extra scrutiny to prescriptions. It's ridiculous, you know? Yeah.
1: <laughs> I know.
0: Well <laughs> While, uh, while <laughs> annual opioid yes, prescriptions nationwide fell 44% from 2012 to 2020, according to and, CDC and how, data. How do we solve it? Oh my gosh, it yeah. would be like 10 shows that we would have to do. Oh God, politician. yeah.
1: But all, all I know is that if we can advocate from our end as patients, um, what we've gone through.
0: Oh, yeah, think... that's all we can do. And here's this one, too. While annual opioid prescription nationwide fell 44% from 2012 to 2020, according to CDC data, drug overdose for prescription opioids barely budged, going from 17,029 in 2017 to 16,706 in 2021 according to the national institute on drug abuse analysis for the cdc data you know the overdoses and i mean yeah granted granted there are overdoses okay but it's not the majority of them aren't coming from the people with prescriptions right the long-term people the long-term people like karen and i that have been on this stuff for a while we take everything that's prescribed okay we're not varying off of that that's why i find going in to do to, to do my urine test and when they call me in for pill counts, I just find it so insulting.
1: And because it's so mismanaged, there is the the factor that that people are now going to the streets. Right, they right. They, they should take off this off the streets. Now people, not all. Right. probably very, you know, less. But And then there's a component that the suicide rate has gone up. Too. Yes,
0: yes, absolutely.
1: And I don't want to get too dark into that. Well, I don't either. But but
0: the problem is is,
1: it's a true factor. It's something that is truly happening. Well, yeah, it is because. Especially with the elderly. Yes. That um, are alone. They don't have family to advocate for them. You know, the hospitals are exhausted. Nurses are exhausted. Doctors are exhausted that they they're so limited what they can do. You know, they're
0: about
1: like seven minutes per visit, mm-hmm. and these
0: elderly people are stuck with with nothing, and you know they don't want to live with the pain
1: anymore. Right? Exactly. Hmm. Exactly. When so I we, we really need we need help in that
0: part. Too. When I think back to what my life was like, and not just elderly, I'm all ages, everybody. Right? Yeah. When Absolutely. I think back to my the 13 years, what it was like for me. Without them, I don't want to go back there. I wouldn't do anything desperate to kill like killing myself, but I really don't want to go back there. The doctors have no clue what my life was like. I used to, you know, as a newspaper reporter, I used to have to walk distances to cover stories, you know, and do this and do that. And I remember one, one particular story for the Christmas parade. And I had to walk um, through through Main Street on Placerville, up and down Main Street. It was so bad that I couldn't even, right. I, I could barely walk. And there were people that I didn't even know that saw me. Yeah. That were putting hey, out. You learn
1: to hide it, don't
0: you, yeah, and, you they learn were, to hide their pain. and they were and they were putting know. out lawn chairs for me so I could sit down because I looked like I was in such agony. In fact, one of them said, "Well, why why is the newspaper have you out here if you're in this hmm. kind of agony?" I didn't want to lose my job, so of course I'm not going to tell the paper that I can't function. You know, so right. I don't want to go back to that. You know, you know, common things like like mowing my lawn, uh, vacuuming my my carpets, uh, mopping my floors. I can't do without the medication. I have to have the medication to do it. Otherwise, yeah, it'll take so me hours. To on. Yeah, and it'll take me hours to do it because I have to sit down every few minutes because the pain's so intense. You know, that's what they're for, is to keep me functioning in life. So here's a continuation of the Chronicle article where she says Meanwhile, drug overdoses from the synthetic opioid fentanyl soared from 28,466 in 2017. To 70,000, 601 in 2021, according to the same data, illegal street fentanyl, increasing potent and lethal, right? Increasingly is the main culprit. Yeah, it's not not the prescription opioids, guys. It's the stuff on the street that keeps running the numbers up. But they've lumped everybody under the same umbrella, okay?
1: And I think truly what happened is that a lot of doctors... It shouldn't happen, prescribing them, over right. them. Right, right.
0: And um, with
1: all of the uh, so- social injustices going on in in our life, people are resorting to drugs.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: There should, You know, we need to learn how to, um, you know, learn how to deal with our stress better
0: right but
1: there's not a whole lot of options for people to learn how to do
0: that and the sad thing is too is the people that they're pulling off the, the these longtime users like like myself and karen that are dependent on this stuff that they're pulling off they're having to go buy. they're having to go buy it on the street and that's a lot of these that's a lot yeah, of these overdose I, I deaths would, you hear i wouldn't say the majority no but the, there's a good the chunk of them that are going out to get on the street because they're so desperate to have their pain and truly have people that really do have addiction problems. Yes. Yeah, and then there's that. And, and then, that's yeah. kind of an addiction,
1: But they, again, should not be treated like
0: dirt. No, they shouldn't. It's not right. So as this, as this thing continues, the policy assumption was that if you cut access to medical supply of prescription opioids, overdoses would go down, say Kate Nicholson, executive director of the National Pain Advocacy Center, which advocates for the rights of people living in pain. Actually, they've doubled. Because the response of the of the market has been to go to illicit fentanyl, which is more dangerous, which is what's happening. Okay. Now we continue. Are mean yeah, okay, now things have been done, but the problem is the states have yet to do anything about the stuff that has that has already been passed. Uh, Rhode Island is if you're if, if you have pain like this, Rhode Island is, is the state to watch because that's where a lot of the changes are taking place. That's what I heard. Yeah, yeah. Rhode oh, Island is a, read some studies
1: about that.
0: So, a unanimous uh, Supreme Court decision in June last year changed the legal landscape, saying that high rates of opioid prescriptions are not a crime of good faith. Are not a crime of good faith was as intended. The court and prosecutors must prove that a doctor uh, intentionally prescribed the drugs without believing they, they, they were medically necessary. So. That's the problem is that they're, they're hauling in these doctors for prescribing this stuff, okay? And so what they're saying here is the courts, the prosecutors must prove that a doctor intentionally prescribed the drugs without believing they were, in other words, just prescribed the drugs to give them to the patient, okay? Because they're hauling these doctors in for doing these prescriptions. So now the rule is that instead of locking them up, the, the courts have to show proof that the doctors, the doctors were just throwing these, these things into the wind for people. So that's a win for, for pain management, okay? That's a yeah, win. Yeah. But the problem is hardly anybody, the, the doctors are so afraid they're not following this. Now, the whole transition right. the whole
1: Transition of it, 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 it has gone remarkably long. It right. just, it, it's not a smooth transition.
0: Now, I was searching around, and uh, uh, there's some other stuff coming up here. Now, same article, the California Medical Board is working to rewrite its opioid prescribing guidelines this year. So in 2023, they're looking, or 2022, they're they're looking to rewrite these guidelines, okay? Stanford's Dr. Mackey is a senior advisor of the new policy, which he said is more patient-centric and and clinician-centric. It moves away from draconian, overly prescribed rules and puts the power back into the patient physician relationship. The main message is the need to individualize and tailor opioid prescribing for the person you're caring for. See, there's doctors out there that are willing to do this. It's a matter of getting it out there, you know, and I think it's advocates like Karen and I and these other advocates that that are going to push that over the top, you know, at these meetings. But Karen, that's exactly what Karen's talking about. They have to look at what the patient's needs are, okay? And if the doctor knows the patient has to have them for quality of life and that's what he or she is prescribing for, then they should be allowed to do that without being hindered by the feds, all right? And uh, Medicare continues. Medicare and Medicaid in January implemented new billing codes for chronic pain that will allow doctors to spend more time with patients devising treatment plans. And again, the CDC revised its opioid prescribing guidelines late last year. The update seeks to support flexible individualized pain management that improves patients' pain, function, and quality of life. Unfortunately, and that was written by a CDC spokesman, unfortunately, the doctors are still taking those guidelines, literally. They're not taking them as, as, as being flexible, and that's what the problem is. And this is what they continue with, and she, this is, this is, this is the, the, the spokesman for CDC. The guidelines are not meant to be implemented as a one-size-fits-all policy, she said. Using dose limits in law would be a misapplication. So they're admitting that they made a mistake. The problem is, now the doctors are so afraid, you know, that they're going to get get arrested. That that they just don't want to do it. It's unfortunate. They're, like Karen says, their hands are tied. You there? Of, yeah. What are the oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I'm listening. <laughs> a bit <of> here. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. California. And this is what's interesting that I found. And let's see. Let me double check here because you guys can see my face. Hello. Hello, you all. I love seeing you. I love talking to you guys. It's great. I'm going to put Karen back up there. There we go. There's Karen. Okay. So the last part that I have to read you guys, and this is, this is what is interesting. Okay. California has a patient's bill of rights. It was done in the 1990s. And I, I, I found this. There's, there's a woman that I'm trying to connect with here on, on, on Facebook. And she uh, is an advocate, and she had written this down in an article on a a newspaper website that that covers this sort of thing, and this is what she did. There was an article, it was in comments. All right. These were signed into law in the 1990s in California and are still part of California's legal code. FYI, Dr. Forrest Tennant was the lead author of of the Pain Patients Bill of Rights. Okay, California's existing laws, the Pain Patients Bill of Rights, and the Intraceable Pain Treatment Act on pages 26 to 17 in the Patient Bill of Rights. Here's an, ex- here's an extract from the Patient's Bill of Rights. Nothing in this section shall be construed to alter any of the provisions set forth in section blah, blah, blah of the Business and Professional Code. This section shall be known as the patient's Pain Patient's Bill of Rights. And this is California law, okay? Let me make this a little bigger so I can read it without stirring. Okay. A, Appendix A. A patient who suffers from severe chronic intractable intractable pain has the option to request or reject the use of any or all modalities in order to relieve his or her pain. Mm -hmm. Part two. A patient who suffers from severe chronic intractable, intractable pain has the option to choose opioid medications to relieve that pain without first having to submit to an invasive medical procedure, which is defined as surgery, destruction of a nerve, or other Body tissue by manipulation or the implantation of a drug delivery system or device, as long as the prescribing physician acts in conformance with the in conformance with the California Intractable Pain Treatment Act, Section 224.1.5 of the Business and Professional Code. Now, C. The patient's physician may refuse to prescribe opioid medication for the patient who requests a treatment for severe chronic pain. However, the physician shall inform the patient that there are physicians who treat pain and whose methods include the use of opiates. Okay, cool. Not happening. No, none of this is happening right now. Now here's another one that's, that's in that law. A physician who uses opiate therapy to relieve severe chronic intractable pain may prescribe a dosage deemed medically necessary, see that, medically necessary, to relieve the patient's pain, as long as that prescribing is in conformance with section 2241-5 of the Business Professions Code, okay? And here's an extract from that, you know, that um, Intractable Pain Treatment Act. Okay, that's 2241 5. A, a physician and surgeon may prescribe for, or dispense, or administer to a person under his or her treatment for medical condition, dangerous drugs or prescriptions, controlled substances for the treatment of pain, or a condition causing pain, including but not limited to intractable pain. B, no physician and surgeon shall be subject to disciplinary action for prescribing, dispensing, or administering dangerous drugs or prescription controlled um, substances in accordance with this section. So there you have it. Wow. And that is California law. And I just find this so unbelievable that everything has gone as far as it has, you know, like it is, because that is the law in California
1: yeah you know and it, it's it's one thing to hear it but when you look
0: through it yeah it, 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 yeah but i mean when you talk to a physician uh, like like the one oh well, i'm not going to name names i don't want to lose my pills either get with arguments <laughs> don't do that no i'm trying to be nice with my physician as much as i possibly can but when you talk to these doctors they, they're, they're so afraid. Their is their hands are tied. They're, they're they're terrified of losing their licenses. And it's not right. It's just no. not right. No. You know, but uh, that really opened my eyes when, when, when I read the law right there because I was like, well, they're not doing that. They stopped doing that a couple years ago, you know, three, four years ago. Are there any,
1: like, um, groups that you can like links that you could put
0: to the show. I will do that because I'm people. just, I'm just starting to find that stuff and I'm starting to make connections, you know, you know, with people that, that are advocating for this stuff. So I'm going to start doing that. So this is what I wanted to talk to people about today is that, like I said, after what happened last week at my, at my appointment, I'm going to take you guys with me and I don't know, you know, if I can get to my doctor to go on record or how that's going to work, but I want to take you guys with me and through my journey with all this. All right, I'm going, be, I'm going to be very open. I'm going to get my I'm supposed to get an MRI done. I'll I'll tell you what the MRI results were. I'm going to be very open with you guys and honest about what's going on with my pain treatment. And so you guys will have the opportunity to follow me through this journey to see what the you know what the doctors are going to do and all this and, and and how I have to you know the, the struggle that's real to Get these pills you know to, to get my medication yeah, because and stuff. we have to be open
1: about talking about it yes um it is a hard subject to talk about it. yes and like i said there's so much stigma with it that there is a, a with i'll be honest there's a level of a kind of embarrassment
0: right there is
1: you know but intellectually i know there shouldn't be rationally i know there shouldn't be any mm-hmm. embarrassment but on the um Emotional level, you know. Sometimes
0: you you do feel that
1: stigma. Yes, you do feel that. Yes, you do. What can I say? What can I can
0: I not say? Right, and that's the thing too, because a lot of people are afraid to go Where in. Where do you get the support? Yeah, a lot of people are afraid. Where do we get the support? At? Right, right, and a lot of people are afraid. In fact, you go into the doctor's office, you're afraid to say anything because you think they're gonna they're gonna cut you off right away. Oh gosh, yeah. I can tell you stories. Yeah, I and it's a major issue. Stories. So. I mean, yeah, so this is why I decided to do this, and I wanted to, like, start, this is going to be a series of stuff following me through my pain stuff, and I'm also going to be interviewing, you know, doctors you know, for, to get their opinions on all this, and I'm going to try and locate some people that are going through what Karen and I are going through so you guys can hear all that, but I, I want to get a couple doctors, a doctor in Sacramento that's, that's very vocal about um, you know, helping pain patients. And I'd, I'd like to get him on and talk with him. All right. So I'm going to start doing this and I'm thinking I'm going to do it once we'll start out once a month, you know, doing a show like this and we'll see That's where awesome. it goes, where maybe it'll expand and it'll, it'll be a Wednesday night like this. And maybe Karen and I can expand it out to maybe twice a month, you know, as, as we get more information in, you know, Absolutely. with this and stuff. So this is just the beginning of, of my journey and, and your journey along with me. And, uh, hopefully we can make a difference. Hopefully, we can get, someone to, so, yeah, we get someone to listen. Yeah. Hopefully, we can get someone to listen. Yeah. Yeah. So, hopefully, we can do that. But uh, that's it for tonight, guys. And uh, just, it's a lot of food for thought, I know. But, uh, you know, I didn't want to be like preachy either. I thought, I'm not here to be preachy. I'm just trying to, to tell, you know, to let you guys know what's going on. The other thing that I found interesting in my research, too, was that, you know, they've done all these studies on chronic pain. But they've never talked or studied the people that are long-term pain patients. They've never talked to them to see how yeah, how that, it's reacting that, to them.
1: That, that's a whole different show: acute
0: versus chronic. Yeah, pain, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, acute or what is it? Addiction versus dependence. And they, they've never um, they've never done a study on people like Karen and I that that are long-term users. They've never done a study, and that's where they're wrong too. Because according to the CDC and all these other these other doctors pain pills, after a while, don't do you any good. Your pain gets worse because you get used to it. But you know what? That's a misnomer. Okay, the, they they do do good. I'm a prime example of that. Karen was a prime well, there, example of that. There's a lot
1: of, of peer-reviewed literature studies yeah.
0: that
1: yeah. side with
0: that. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just the changes are coming, but they're just slow. And like Karen says, if I give up my my, my opioids at this point if the changes come, are they going to give them back? You know, who knows?
1: No, I, I applaud you for that, Charlotte. I think that is really great if you can get people from different aspects talking about it.
0: Yeah. So because we're going to, so Karen yeah. is going to be my co-host when we do these things, and I'm going to start pulling, pulling people in for interviews and stuff to have a more have a more rounded, you know, uh, interview forum here for, for this problem. And it, it's an issue. Absolutely. And like I said, if we could carry it, I can help even one person out there with this. Or maybe get, help start getting the ball rolling and make it move faster in California than, than how it's moving. Then, the, then that's a good thing. Okay. That being said, tomorrow um, I will have a pre-recorded show. I'm going to do a pre-record at 10 a.m. And it's with um, Gerard. Um, let's see. Hang on a second. Give me my own writing. Gerard Atkinson or Artisan, Gerard Artisan. And if I don't know if you guys know who uh, Adamski is, but Adamski was a gentleman in 1946 who saw a UFO. And I believe he he, he, he got to the point after his abduction that he um, believed that a lot of our climate issues were due to UFOs and, and all kinds of stuff that had to do with the Earth, you know, the, the, the way the Earth is put together and whatnot. Anyway, it's very controversial because a lot of this, a lot of the photos and stuff he took um have been debunked and so um you this- know what the problem is too i think is <laughs> yes
1: it's it's almost like the old footage is more believable because of um artificial intelligence and all, right and all that going on now you don't know what to believe when you see on social media yeah you don't and
0: it's so hard
1: it's hard to just and you know how how do they pixelize it and how how do professionals that, that's a whole different
0: topic right 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 no i mean but, that's what we're no, going to talk about tomorrow you know but, fascinating though. so yeah yeah it is fascinating so um I'm, like i said i'm going to pre-record this thing at, at 10 o'clock tomorrow it'll be on you'll be on youtube tomorrow at 6 uh, 30 p.m pacific for you guys to watch okay so I'll that's something that that's something to look forward to i want to thank karen for coming on and we're going to at least do this at least once a month now I'll, uh, you know, I, I came armed this, uh, this evening with all that stuff from the, from the newspapers, and I'm going to come armed every time we do this. And like That's I said, good. I'm going to take I mean, you we guys. we still got to do our, our, our ghost stories. Oh, <laughs> ah, yeah. Karen and I are expanding over to TikTok. We have a lot going on. And uh, so Karen is going to be out there with me over on TikTok. And, oh, my gosh. A all kinds of, stuff all up. kinds of fun stuff coming up. But uh, I want to thank everybody for listening tonight, and I hope this reaches a larger audience. I really do because I, I think it I needs to be so. said and i'm not like i said i'm not a doctor karen's not a doctor we're just trying to get the word out from our perspective right. as being as being long time pain management patients because it, it it's it's not a good situation for people i
1: hope you can get some good doctors
0: on oh, I think you will yeah i i think i will i'm already putting the feelers out so i'm starting to roll with that so uh thank you very much and i did quote and i just want to make sure you know everybody to sit on air for sure i did quote usa today i did quote san francisco chronicle so there's no ifs, ands, or buts about where I got my information from. So, yeah, right. I don't want to get nailed for copyright or anything like that. So, uh, yeah, and uh, it's, it's going to be an interesting ride. And like I said, I don't know if I'm going to be able to record conversations with my doctors or what hell I'm going to do it yet at the doctor's office. But I want to be completely open and I want to be able to – maybe I'll just keep a diary for you guys, you know, for each time – I come on, I, I can tell you what what went down that day at the doctor's office and, and whatnot, okay? So um, I'm still trying to work that out. I won't be back at the doctor until like the 12th of, of June. So that gives me some time to figure how, out how I'm going to do it. But I'm taking you guys with me through this journey. All right. Thank you, Charlotte. Thank and, you so much. Uh, yes, no problem. And I want to thank Karen and I have known each other for years. And, uh, yeah, we're rolling right along. So All right. that being said, I have a class I'm teaching on June 10th at 1 p.m. Pacific and uh, that is for uh, protection class and uh, I, I, I taught a basic protection class a couple weeks ago and if you guys are interested in that because what i'm doing is that uh, we're we're going to look at different stones and, and gems and, and the power they and the power they have to help you and not only that but different things that have power to help you that have you know that 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 you can put together yourself like maybe a medicine bag or, or maybe make yourself a necklace of something to you know to, to help yourself and it's going to be an interesting class. So if you're interested in that, uh, check it out over at California Haunts Meetup at meetup.com and uh, sign up. And, and uh, I'm going to be teaching, like I said, I'm going to be teaching that class. And it's interesting, all right. And not, you know, not just Native Americans can do medicine bags. There's a way to make a medicine bag that you can do yourself, okay. All right. Anyway, I want to go ahead let it go with it. I hope I didn't make any Native Americans mad on that either. But uh, I've been making medicine bags for myself for years for protecting myself, you know, for, for protection when I'm out ghost hunting. I have a really All of- right, Cheryl. Thank you so much. All right, Karen. We'll
1: talk to you later. Yep. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye.
0: So, yeah. So I'm going to be, uh, you know, teaching you guys how to make talisman, things you can put around your house. For protection, things you can, you know, give your dogs that, you know, your animals and all that stuff. So if you're interested, that sounds like something you want to do. And for people that, that can't make it to that one p.m. show, I or that one p.m. class, I can arrange another time to teach you got you as well. So it's 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 not a big deal. Okay, uh, visit meetup.com for that. I really appreciate. It. All right, if you liked the show today, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five of your enemies. We're equal opportunity here at California Hunts Radio. Uh, you know, we're just trying to get the word out about the show. And just like I said earlier, if you're watching from Facebook and you uh, haven't done so yet and you like what you hear, please be sure to hit that share button. Or if you're on YouTube and you're watching, uh, check out our videos over there and please be sure to to uh, subscribe because, uh, you know, we've got all kinds of videos over there, just like this is a perfect example. I'm a journalist, photojournalist. I don't like to always do paranormal stuff. So I will, I will mix it up from time to time with, with shows like this and, and other types of stuff. Okay, that being said, I will see you guys tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. Pacific. I will be live on chat. I will not be like live live, but I will be on the chat. So have a great evening, and I will see you tomorrow.